welcome back to another episode of the Utility Strategy Podcast. And today we have with us a guest that I think many of you already know, uh, probably follow him on uh, LinkedIn or social media. Uh, Forrest Sim, how are you doing today? Awesome. It's a beautiful, not rainy, sunny Southern California day. We've been having tons of rain, so we're being grateful for any kind of sun we get right now. So we're doing awesome. great. Forrest, tell us, uh, tell the audience a bit about uh, yourself. How do you get into the industry? What's your background story? Um, you know, my background is actually mostly in um, mostly in sales. I actually don't have a, a huge technical uh, background. I'm, I'm not a geophysicist or a geologist or any kind of ist. So what I have is uh, uh, I got into this by um, um, kind of by happenstance. And as it turns out, uh, doing utility locating, concrete scanning, and, you know, kind of these types of non-destructive testing services uh, turned out to be a really great fit simply because I find it really interesting. There's, um, they're good, there's good money to be made in it. It's a good career. And um, I get to see lots of different people and do it. it. It was just a great fit just by accident. And so I've been in this industry for about seven years now, a little over seven. And, um, uh, and it's great. I started my own company about four years ago. I'm in Southern California and, uh, we do offer those services that are very common for companies of my type in in the U S as well as we're getting into a few other things like laser scanning and, um, uh, some drone services, some stuff like that, that are a little more, uh, I guess at this stage for me, a little more interesting. I've just been doing this stuff for so long. I mean, uh, it's, it's fun to be able to branch out a little bit. So live in Southern California and I've got a wife, been married for almost 17 years and four kids and one tortoise and a bunch of plants. So I'm a really rivetingly interesting guy. Yeah. So uh, for, for those of you who aren't following uh, on LinkedIn, you should, because Forrest creates amazing content uh, about the industry, specifically uh, around GPRs, uh, but not only. Uh, so uh, Forrest, uh, uh, I think when we, uh, when we prepared for this, uh, uh, for this episode, one of the main questions, the big questions that uh, came up was, how do you find customers that are educated on the challenges of subsurface utilities because not not a lot do and i think that's like when it came up in our conversation i was like okay this is something that everyone is talking about so uh and and maybe even gi uh, give some context to what your company does so it uh so so we understand the context of the question sure so um in terms of <clears throat> in terms of educated customers on on my services, we, we are such a tiny little niche service within the greater AEC, you know, architecture, engineering and construction industry. We are this tiny little piece. We're a very, very important piece, but, but so tiny. And so um, we will, and really I'm speaking for the US here. If you're outside of the US, if you're in Australia or, you know, if you're in EMEA or, um, or anything other areas, then uh, then this may be very different. But in the U.S., um, 
most of my customers don't know very much about what I do. It's kind of a magical black box thing where, look, man, I just need you to come out here on on my site. I need you to do your magic and make sure I don't hit stuff. And that's that's about as much as it go as far as it goes, which is which is fine because I'm educated on my topics, on my um, uh, industry, on my services, so I can I can help the customer understand. Uh, you know, fill in the gaps there. But um, it, it also means if you don't have a customer who's educated on what you offer, he simply knows he needs it, then he doesn't know um, what questions ask. Um, he doesn't know how to ensure that he's fully prepared for you. So that means you have to ask a lot of questions ahead of time. You've got to go through all those steps to make sure that when you get out on site, you're not getting into a, a mess that you could have avoided had you just made sure to have the right conversations. So a lot of this has to do with foreseeing the problems that you that you could be running into simply because you're talking to somebody who's not uneducated, but maybe a little bit less educated on what you do and how it works. Um, it, it can make for some interesting situations sometimes. Um, but yeah, very, very, very important. And the customers just don't really generally speaking, understand too much about uh, about how our service works. And many of them don't even understand really why it's needed. Um, so which is so let's, let's talk about that. Why do you think that is? Why don't they understand the why? The why it's needed? Well, uh, so I had, I had a situation one time that I was giving a presentation to a large uh a subcontractor, a large electrical contractor. And um, they, they were big, several hundred uh, technicians out in the field doing uh, uh, doing work every day. And they had, um, I, I did this presentation for maybe 40, 40 or 50 people in the room. And at the end of it, I had a guy raise, raise his hand when we were doing questions. And he said, so you're saying that there's something beyond just calling 811 to come and locate utilities. We just thought that once 811 comes out after they're done, if they stop at the fence line or, or wherever it is, that we're just, we're, you know, we're out of luck. We're just, uh, we're on our own there. And um, they just had no idea that private utility locating was even a thing. Um, in terms of why that is, um, uh, there's a lot of effort put into a lot of money, a lot of, uh, a lot of years of effort that's been put into the 811 system, which is phenomenal. So most contractors know dial before you dig 811. It's state law. You've got to do it. It's state law in every single state. So that everybody knows that, but um, it's really experience that tells them that, oh, and then after 811 comes out, if there are areas that 811 doesn't cover or utilities, they don't locate because they're not public then we got to call somebody else. Um, and then even if they know that there's a lot of the customers that we get, like new customers comes just off of Google, just people Googling things like, where do I find a utility locator? Or how do I locate a gas line? Just really basic stuff. And so um, there's, there's a lot of money put into public locating uh, the 811 and then beyond that, there's, there's really not much. So, um, it's just the, the state of the, the affairs right now in the U S like I said, 
different outside the U.S., but that's the way it works in the United States. I think that there's also some sort of per- perception that 811 is kind of uh, the free locators. Like, and, uh, and not to knock off the, uh, the locators of, uh, uh, that work with, directly with 811, but there's, there's just so many tickets that go through their system. And there's only oh, so much one truck, one truck can, uh, can do in a day, right? So yeah. it's the expectation of uh, the, uh, the locators working through the one call system is unrealistic and because it's unrealistic so the quality of work isn't what it should be and i think that's why um we're seeing more and more contractors that have realized this that have realized that the the uh, um, end result of a11 just isn't good enough for their needs yeah i mean as you said you know there's no there's no knocking the guys who are doing 811. I mean, I know that there are guys who are doing these these public locates who have been doing them for almost as long as I've been alive. I'm 40 years old. And there are guys who have been out there literally for decades locating these lines, highly experienced, really know what they're doing. But in as you said, in many cases, they're doing 20, 30 plus tickets a day. And that if they're working an eight or 10 hour day, that there's some pretty simple math involved there, which means you can't spend very much time on any one site. Um, and that's just, nope. and that's just tough. Um, so either you spend a lot of time on a site and you get behind and then you've got more tickets that you've got to do tomorrow. And I don't fully understand the ticket system through 811 because I'm not a public locator. It's just so different in terms, you know, locating a gas line, if you're a public locator or you're a private locator, it's the same thing. It, the, the technology, the you know principles of electromagnetic induction, none of that changes. Spray paint is spray paint, but in terms of how the work the the workflow uh, proceeds, very different. Um, and so these guys uh, many times really know what they're doing. They're just really uh, pressed for time. We, on a contrast, we will do something like three or four jobs today. Four is kind of a lot. Five is a, a lot wow. of jobs. And so we spend a lot of time on each site. We also charge for this. You know, 811, they're free. It's law that you see so you have to call them, but it's also free. So, um, so you know, these guys are going to come out and you're not going to have a specific time for when they come out most of the time. Again, I'm not a public locator, but from what I understand, it's uh, it, you get a window of when these guys should come out um, when you call up a, a private locator. We charge money, but we, we get there at a specific time. We do your job. We do it for as long as it takes to get your job done. Um, they're just very different. They fulfill different roles within the locating world in the United States. Um, but yeah, there's a real issue with the number of tickets that 811 locators have. And and I can't emphasize overemphasize this, that as one who's not a public locator, I can't claim to have any solution for this. I just recognize that. Wow, yeah, that seems like it's that seems rough. I can't imagine doing thirty tickets in a day. I don't know what that's like. Rough. Yeah, yeah. But uh, there's a saying: uh, you you uh, pay for what you get. And I think yeah. that's uh, like if you're not paying anything. So uh, I think that that's the results you can definitely expect. Um, sure. So. 
how um, you know I think I think private locating has that challenge of um, education making making sure that people are aware that this is uh, this is actually an option so how how do we do that how do we make it accessible to, to the rest of the stakeholders well I think that uh, the uh, there are organizations out there who are who are helping well and shoot and your and your show here I mean what 4m is doing just just in trying to reach out and just um, just talk to contractors talk to the AEC industry and and uh, doing that that's helping I'm gonna be starting a podcast here uh, later on <clears throat> excuse me in fact by the time this airs I might I might be have started my own podcast so anyway uh, a, there's a lot of that happening in the space of just people talking, which is helpful. Um, but um, a, another thing that's happening more is just um, tr- at, at trade shows and um, and also with um, trade aso- or not trade associations, but um, uh, yeah, I mean trade associations. You know, there's the Global Excavation Safety Conference. Um, that's yep. just all about, you know, safe digging. Um, and, uh, so there, there are groups out there who are just of their own volition going out and just talking about this. Um, so I think that helps. Um, I'm, I'm not what one you, personally. What made you turn into, into such a, a voice in the industry? Like, why did you decide to start producing so much content mm-hmm. around the space? Um, I just, uh, <laughs> um, I've always had a hard time not raising my hand and saying something, uh, <laughs> which, so, <laughs> I mean, when I was in, when I was in school, I mean, elementary school through college, um, I was always the annoying kid in the class who'd raise his hand and say something like, you know, Hey teacher, does it work in this scenario? Or yeah, but what about this? And I mean, truly like, uh, I would usually sit in the front row and there were, I just know that there were just lasers boring through my, the back of my head from all the other students in the class, just staring at me, asking me to shut up. <laughs> Some of them verbally asking me to shut up. But um, so, and now LinkedIn is just the adult professional iteration of this that I see like, Oh, look, there's, you know, people, Hey, there, there's some guy talking about something here, and um, that sounds really cool. There's another guy talking about this thing over here that uh, I'm pretty sure, like 99% sure, that's not quite right. And I just have to, I just have to talk. So um, I just feel like it's incumbent upon any of us that if we see something that um, should be discussed, that we discuss it. Uh, and and I do it in a fairly direct way. Um, I'm polite. I, I try very hard to be polite about it, but there are many people on LinkedIn with whom I've disagreed on, on things. Um, I don't see any reason to, um, to cover this, you know, to, to just like keep my mouth shut. Um, because I, I just don't think that that does anybody any favors, but I also don't think that it does any good to, uh, be rude about it. So I, I try to be as polite as possible, but but I think that it's um, it's important for any person to speak up. What's the biggest thing is going on at the moment in the space? In in the utility space? Yeah. 
Um, well, lots of people are talking about AI for this, that, and the other. Um, and what I, what I don't know, or what I, what I do know about myself is that I'm no expert in AI or machine learning or anything like that. So do I think like that's the next, the next huge thing? I, I don't, I don't know. I couldn't say, I don't know anything about that stuff, but I know people like throwing those terms around a lot and those are sexy, catchy phrases. Um, so I see a lot of debate on whether on, on the relevancy of, of machine learning and, and these types of things. And, um, I think that it's, it's very, very interesting. And there's a lot to be, uh, I think that that should be, should be watched to see kind of what can be done from, from mass commute computing. Um, so I see a lot of that. And then from a ground penetrating radar perspective, um, multi-channel arrays are seeming like they are becoming more and more relevant as, uh, problem solvers for just collecting a massive amount of data and then, <laughs> and then plugging it into a machine and, and having it uh, do a lot of processing for you doing some human processing there as well, but just gathering a massive amount of data and seeing what that can do for you. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. Multi-channel arrays with ground penetrating radar are pretty cool. I think that there's, A term that we hear a lot is digital transformation. Have you heard that mm. one before? Yeah, sure. I think it's the biggest uh, buzzword in the industry. It doesn't really mean much. Yeah, it's pretty vague. <laughs> very, very vague. And I think yeah. we're an industry where there are a lot of stakeholders. And the reason why we haven't seen digital transformation yet in the industry is because we haven't yet created digital platforms at the core that everyone is using. So just looking at the, at the at the utility data, for example, right? Like we have mm -hmm. so many stakeholders creating that, that data. We have the owners, we have the utility owners, we have the locators, we have the sewer engineers, we have the project engineers, we have the contractors, and all of these are trying to solve their own problem in their own silo. Right? Yeah. But there's nothing that's kind of cross-platform trying to give everyone uh, a solution. And we're seeing that not just in utilities, but all over the construction industry, where we're seeing everyone screaming digital transformation, AI, VR, AR, like all these, all these huge buzzwords. But when, you, when it comes down to it, when you're in the field, boots on the ground, you want something that's going to help you uh, right now. Right there yeah. and then. And I think that that's kind of where that's the threshold that uh, these new technologies need to cross is that are we impacting that person whose boots on the ground their day to day or are we not like so what if it's digital? So what if it looks cool? But is it helping us? Yeah, that so the um, I, I have an opinion about this and. Uh, I don't know if it's right, but I've got an opinion about it. Sure, I've got an opinion about tons of stuff. Um, but so the um, the AEC industry, generally speaking, construction guys. Uh, so the construction industry, it's mostly guys, and they mostly aren't super uh, 
super fast on the uptake when it comes to like technology, new technologies, new, new advances in this, that, or the other. Um, because we, we, we want so badly for something to just work. And it's the unofficial mantra of, uh, of the architectural engineering and construction industry is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And so if we've got something that's been working for the last 10 or hundred years, uh, it's going to be, you're going to have to really show us that not only does it work, but it works better than what we've been doing and not only better, but it needs to be significantly faster, cheaper, more efficient, more, more effective than what we've been doing for us to want to say like, it's going to be worth it for us to, change the way that we've been working for decades um, to do this. It's just such, look, uh, I mean, construction is not the, the oldest profession in the world. That's different. But, um, but construction is a very, very old profession. Just building stuff is very, very old. And so when it comes to finding an industry where we're fairly set in our ways, it's hard to find one that's more set in their ways than, than a guy out on a site swinging a hammer or or running a drill or using a shovel so um it's it's a pretty hard sale for um for contractors to go out there and tell them like you should change the way that you've been doing things because we have we figured out in this lab that uh that this would be more effective for you it's that's tough are you seeing that as well in your day today um Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. So, um, I'm, I don't, I don't think very many people will be hating on me for this, but, uh, so they're, so witching sticks, right? So witching sticks come in all sorts of, I've, I've heard of so many different varieties that witching sticks come in that everything from like some like kit that you buy off of Amazon, that's that's fairly fancy all the way to just taking a couple of coat hangers and bending them and sticking them in your hands. So witching sticks, for those who don't know, maybe I shouldn't be talking about this, but witching sticks, you, you hold a couple of like on the most basic end of it. It's just a 90 degree bend in a piece of metal that like a, like a coat hanger and you just hold it in your hands and you should be able to walk across the ground and they'll cross this way or cross that way if you're walking over a, like a water line or an electrical line or something, or on the fringes, you can, other people will tell you that you can find water with that too. Like, you know, where to drill for a water line and how deep and how many gallons per minute it'll give you and maybe how good it'll taste. And possibly like if it's going to be crystal clear water, or maybe if there's lucky charms and like a buried pot of gold, yeah. how many, how much salt, I don't know, like what the best pickup line for a girl that you want to go and meet at the bar is, I don't know, witching sticks. There's no end to what witching sticks can do. So, I mean, like there are guys who swear by them and they swear by them because it's worked and you know, that's cool. Um, but you know, there's an ancient Chinese proverb that says, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So <laughs> there's, I, I just, yeah. I'm not 
like a huge fan of the witching sticks because it's so inconsistent in terms of does it work for Jim? Yeah, it works for Jim. Doesn't work for Bob, and it doesn't work on this site for Jim because of this variable and that variable. And look, I, I mean, I use tools that that have limitations also, but I mean, like it's just like the limitations are like this big for the tools that I'm using out there on the site. That which anyway, so. In terms of uh, my customers accepting technology, that's usually not too big of a problem because we're not, we're mostly really solving problems. Like, oh man, we used to always just dig and and we can just pay you you guys a few hundred bucks and you come out here and make sure that we don't hit a pipe. Shoot, that's worth it. That's easy. That's that's not a big deal. That's improving their workflow, improving their efficiency, improving their uh, um, uh, their their, you know, the bottom line on their, on their budget. So, uh, but every once in a while we do run into guys who, um, they, they look like this. Well, and then they start telling me about this time that they use witching sticks that worked. So but every <laughs> once in a while, but not super often, but just enough to help me to, to help that, uh, that I know really well what they look like and how the conversation goes. So it's kind of fun. Yeah. So tell me, uh, in such, you know, our industry is uh, changing every day. And I think there's uh, a lot of conversation on standardization of what's expected from uh, mm. locators and private locators specifically. So yeah. how do you constantly uh, upgrade your standards to what's expected and how do you uphold them? Uh, well, there's, uh, okay. So again, in the U S in the, in the UK, they have super fancy things like PAS 128. You ever want to talk to a, um, like get a, a British utility locator all excited. Then you just ask him something, ask him something like, um, like, Hey, what do you think about PAS 128? Or, Hey, what has PAS 128 been doing recently? Or did you read the recent change about PAS 128? And they're like, Oh yeah, you bet. Yeah. Well, with a British accent, you'll say something like, I can, oh, I'm not going to try to do a British accent, but like, yeah, it's amazing. You know, the other day I was talking to somebody else who doesn't know anything about PAS 128. And I, I just, anyway, PAS 128 yeah. is great. Bless those British people. We don't have PAS 128. We have something similar to it, but I mean, it's in terms of, uh, we have something very similar to it, but in terms of like, uh, the universality of its adoption, you know, we don't have anything near PAS 128. Everybody uses it. Everybody knows it. Um, but here in the U S it's just, um, that's just not the case. So we have, um, uh, in, so we don't have a really well accepted standard for what, every utility locator needs to be doing um, or concrete scan, you know, whatever we're doing. So for utility locating, um, if you wanted to tomorrow, David, if you wanted to get a website, you know, Davies locating RS, and you should look up that site. It might be available as a URL. Davies locating RS and, uh, and get a website, get a phone number and start paying for some Google ads and um you know get a buy a piece of equipment then you could go out with a wand and a or just a wand or a wand and a gpr and start locating tomorrow just get a business license and like you're you're off and running 
even in California, super highly regulated sets the bar for regulation. We brag about how much regulation we have here in California. Even here, it's that easy to be able to get into utility locating, which is good and bad. That means that, you know, I'm not personally one for um, a lot of red tape, a lot of like regulations. I want the, the industry to regulate what happens. I want, I should go out of business if I'm performing a bad service. Um, or I sh my company should just explode because man, this guy is setting the standard. He's amazing. So, th so that's what the market, that's what's happening with utility locating in the US right now is that this is totally market driven. There is no, I never, I have never in, you know, thousands of phone calls um, over, uh, over these years, I've never had a customer say, uh, hey, do you, um, are you offering, you know, are you uh, compliant with the latest ASCE standard? Um, that's just, nobody has ever asked that. In fact, I've only had one or two customers who are familiar with it. This may be because of wow. the customers that I work with you know certainly there are but many the civil engineers there there's their uh, engineers so I'm, uh, I'm surprised sure so certainly there so this is um this is pr certainly uh, at least related to the customers who who call me for work the customers who are looking for you know small jobs our average job is three to four hours um we'll have jobs that are several days long and many jobs that are just one hour long, but average around three to four hours. And so those types of projects, they're usually not planned out weeks or months in advance. They're usually a, hey, Forrest, get out here as fast as you can. We need to have somebody scan the ground here for us. We need to have somebody locate this gas main. Um, and so there's not a lot of, um, th those, those guys can be just about anybody right? They can just be a plumber. They can be an electrician. If I'm, if my customers were all civil engineers, if they were civil engineering firms, I would probably have a different experience, but the majority of my customers are not civil engineers, some, um, but it's just not, uh, it's just not the case. So in terms of having some sort of unifying standards that we all adhere to, am I for that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that sounds great. I don't want the government coming in and and stipulating that. I don't want them to come in and and regulate this from a governmental uh, standpoint. I want this to be industry regulated. That we all, uh, I think that would be a good thing for us. That we decide on. You know what? We're going to we're going to call our standard this, or we're going to determine that this is what the standard should be, and that we should all be adhering to it. We should all do it. And, um, and you know what, we're going to start putting that on our websites that, uh, we all meet this, this criterion, uh, all these criteria. And, um, and then eventually our customers will start getting used to that and they'll start requesting that, Hey, do you abide by these standards? Are you certified, uh, in this way? But that's a really slow, this is a big ship and that's not going to, it's not going to turn that fast. Well. Are you finding that, you know, being, being the industry leader in locating kind of, I'd say requires a very high 
level of quality regarding the human capital that you have on your team. Mm. And having said that, we're seeing a diminishing workforce of locators. So how does a, a rising firm in the space overcome that? That's tough. Uh, it, it's really hard because um, this type of work requires you to work outside in California, you know, you're outside working in the heat. In most of the rest of the U.S., you'll be having cold and or wet winters. And you have to work out in those conditions. Uh, certainly, there are days that, you know, where there, the inclement weather doesn't permit it. But most of the time, you just need to keep working through whatever weather you're experiencing. Uh, and so that, that requires a certain personality type, um, which is fine. Um, but... You also have to have, um, I mean, how do I put this? You, uh, uh, I keep trying to think of nicer words to use. You have to, you can't, you can't be, um, you can't be too much of a dummy. Like, obviously, like I've made, I'm doing well for myself in this space. So there's a certain amount of dumminess that you're allowed to have because I'm, I'm a great case study for that. So apparently you can be a certain level of dumb, but um, you've got to be able to uh, think very critically about this, about a, uh, about a problem here. You know, you get out onto a site and you're trying to locate this water line and the first tool you use doesn't find it. And the second tool you use doesn't find it. And then you're just doing this. Oh, you know what? it might be doing this. Let's go look around the side of the building, see if I can see evidence for it, you know, yeah. doing something else. Or let's try a different setting on my tool. Or you know what? Let me call my buddy up here. Hey, Jim, you ever seen this? And um, there, there's a lot of troubleshooting that has to take place where you're just sitting there sometimes staring at the ground, trying to think of what could be happening. And so you've got to be okay with... Um, with working out in the elements, working on a construction site, being dirty, but you've also got to be a pretty good problem solver. You've got to be pretty good at being able to just sit there and stare at something and have the mental focus and also the mental discipline to say, um, no, I could try one more thing. I've got another tool up my sleeve, or I've got a guy I could call who might be able to help me with this. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, and so those are just the, the technical skills, but then you've got to find a fairly like moral ethical person here. Somebody who's, who's a very honest person, because as I said earlier, our customers are not well educated on this industry. And so my customer over here, he doesn't know if I'm doing everything possible to find this line. I could, I could say it's three o'clock on Friday afternoon, man. I want to get out on the lake. Um, so, uh, yeah. Hey, Mr. Customer, I've, uh, I've done everything that I possibly can to find this line. I'm sorry. It's just unfindable. And he'll say, darn, gosh, that's really too bad. And I say, yeah, yeah, that sucks. Hey, sign this for me. I got to get out on the lake. Um, yeah. where in reality you could try something else. You've got another tool in your truck. You've got something else you could do. Customer's never going to know, but you know, if you've got mirrors in your house you've got to look yourself in, in those mirrors every once in a while, then you've got to you've got to treat your customer well on site and do the job to the best degree possible. So this is the type of person that does well in this industry. 
fine with working outside in the dirt, in the, in the elements, great problem solver, strong moral center. I mean, those, you don't have to have those three to do this work. Those that's the type of guy who will excel though. I don't know where I saw, but, uh, and I think there's a lot of similarities here, but it's uh, very much like uh, taking your truck to a garage and having them look at, I don't know, what, whatever problem you think the car has. And you're, you're, not a, uh, you're not a mechanic. You're not a professional. You don't know what's happening in the engine. And the guy is uh, like, he can do exactly the same thing. He can say, well, this is going to cost 5K to fix. And you're like, for what? And he's just going to make up like, oh, it's a carburetor, uh, exhaust, combustion, whatever that is, right? Yeah. And going to make up a, a problem. And I think that, and I saw this uh, this video a few months ago of a guy who was hired by a, a mechanic who was hired. And first day in, he gets a woman uh, come in with her car and she, she uh, shows him, uh, like, and he figures out that it's not such a big of a problem. Like, it's, a, to, it's a connecting a few wires and she can be on her way. And the, the, his boss was kind of, yeah, tell her it's going to cost uh, 10K and she needs to replace some big part of her engine. He's like, yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not doing that. And he told the customer uh, that uh, she doesn't have such a big problem and he quit the same day. First day, first day on the job. I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, and I think uh, it's uh, it's very similar, like in our industry, where there's kind of this. Uh, I think you mentioned this before. There's kind of a black box, right? Like yeah. you you don't uh, you don't like as the customer, you don't fully understand uh, the profession and what the what the outcome is of the of the work, like. You're just you're basically waiting for uh, someone to save you, so to speak, and to give you the answers, and you don't know if they're giving you the right answers or not. So I yeah. think there's finding a firm that's a professional firm that understands not only how to uh, do the job and collect the data uh, in the subsurface, but also um, communicate it to the customer in a way that they understand what you've done for them. I think that yeah. there's a lack of that in the industry and therefore a need. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, it, it's interesting. While you could start up a company tomorrow doing utility locating, get a website, a phone number and a Google ad and and buy a couple of tools and throw them in the back of your sedan that you've got, you've now got a company and that'll work. You can you can make that happen. Um, but uh, and so. So you couple that with the fact that we are in a highly unregulated industry in the U.S. That you know nobody's if I'm a if I'm an electrician nobody's going to hire me as an electrician if I just learned it from my uncle Joe. I've I need to be a licensed electrician, um, yeah. and that just doesn't exist right now in our industry. And so you couple those two things together: the e, the uh, low barrier to entry, and um, and the uh, uh, including no licensure uh, required um, and it, it makes it easy to get jobs, but you've got to convince the customer on the other end of the phone, who's calling you up, who he's making it pretty obvious. He doesn't know what he's talking about. If you sound just as incompetent about what's going on, then 
he's not going to call you up. He's not going to hire you. He's, he's going to say, make up some excuse like, oh, yeah, well, uh, that sounds great, but I got to go do my hair. So I got to go. Um, you know, he's going to come up with something. But um, so it's so critical, like what you said about the communication on both ends of the project. On the front end, when you've got a customer calling in, especially one who's who starts with, man, this is a real humdinger, dude. I, I like this. This is what we're going through right now. Um, it, can you even help with this? Then it's so important for you to be able to communicate to him, like in whatever way you need to, that yes, I can solve the problem. Not only do I know how to solve the problem, I've done this exact job at least three dozen times. So I know very well how to solve this. Here's the price. And I can be out there in a reasonable amount of time. And then on the back end, you communicate everything you found efficiently, effectively, then then that's a recurring customer. If on the other hand, on the front end, you barely get the guy to, to uh, agree to have you come out. And then at the end of the job, you uh, just leave some spray paint marks on the ground. Don't tell him anything about what you found. And you just kind of leave. Um, he might not pay you and he's definitely not going to call you back again. So yeah, the communication thing on both ends, super important. If you want to have a, a company that lasts more than a week, know, maybe you don't, I don't know. Yeah. And you can turn it like if you, if you do it right, you can turn it into some sort of repeatable customer that keeps coming back to you and that spreads the education in the industry and kind of say, Hey, this is important. This saved my, my ass. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good for the, it's good for the industry. And I mean, the, that's, what's, that's, what's great about what I do is if, if it's good for the industry, it's also good for my company. So, I mean, then my, uh, my bottom dollar is, is going up. And so, uh, it's easy for me to, to do the things that are good for the industry because it just benefits me. Where do you see the industry going in the next five to 10 years? You know, it's, it's so hard to say because I don't know. There's so much talk about this this topic of certification and licensing or coming up with some sort of like universal standard. Um, five to ten, I would I would really like to see some progress made along those lines. Um, I think that's an important conversation that we need to be having. Well, it's an important conversation that we are having. moving it beyond conversation, making it something practical, that's a little bit tough. It's easy when when the government comes in and says, okay, kids, you're all busted, okay? I caught you, okay? Somebody was playing with matches on the living room carpet, you're all grounded, and I'm taking the matches away, and, uh, you know, you, you, guys, you guys can't do anything fun anymore. Nobody wants yeah. that. Everybody wants to play with the matches, right? Okay. Well, all right. That analogy just broke down. But yeah, bad analogy, anyway, but we, get it. we get it. But um, I, I would, I would really, really like to have the industry just decide, like, you know what? Let's just, just let's just figure this out on our own, so that the government doesn't have to come in. What it would, what it would take is a maybe like a huge hit, a huge accident. Um, I mean, heaven forbid, but. I, if a huge accident happened on a government job, like a federal job or or a large state job, maybe, um, and they start looking into it and figure out that, 
hey, the utility locator who was out there, he, he said there was no gas line there. It was a massive gas line. Six people were killed, $10 million and $50 million in damages. Um, uh, then uh, they might start saying like, why is there somebody out here doing utility locating who's not licensed or certified? Well, it doesn't exist in the industry. Oh, okay, well, we can change that. We'll come in and we'll make a law. And that's, yeah. I don't think anybody, anybody wants that, but I think that's a big thing that could be happening in the next five to 10 years is just hopefully not mandated by the government. I think that would be bad. Um, but hopefully mandated from just within us, we all agree to not play with matches in the living room. Yeah. I that think analogy uh, did work out actually. <laughs> we had a conversation earlier with uh, Brenda Regal, who's uh, big in damage prevention uh, out of Pennsylvania, and uh, she's uh, uh, one. Of, she was, or, or uh, she's a big part of Nuka, um, and she was saying that, and she's done a lot of legislation work, and she was saying that the legislators, unfortunately, only get involved when there is a crisis. And it's right. our responsibility as professionals in the industry to not let it get to that, to set the rules of the game before we get to that um, unfortunate event. We're, yeah, it, it, and I don't disagree with that at all. I, I agree 100%. But we're just, I mean, on that level, we are fighting human nature. We're, hmm. we're fighting the human yeah. nature of, uh, look, like I said earlier, it ain't broke. Why fix it? Yeah. Even though we can see ourselves careening down the hill, you know, towards some tragedy. It's yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. So one, uh, one last question before, uh, before we go, uh, which sure. is a question we ask all of our guests who should be next on the show. Oh man. Who should be next? Um, Um, who should be next? Have, have you guys talked to Mike Tuig? Yeah, we did. Was, oh, you uh, did? Two episodes ago. Yeah, he's oh, one of the best okay. episodes we had. Yeah. Very right, knowledgeable good. guy. Yeah. You've already got Mike Tuig. Super knowledgeable guy. And like, just the, uh, um, just the funniest Irishman ever. He's just such a <laughs> such a cool cat. Yeah. He's such yeah. a cool cat. Um, so Mike Tuig yeah. is a great one. You've already got him. Um, and you know, I think that um, I think Dan Bigman would be an interesting guy to have on. He's um, uh, he's like me. He's got no shortage of opinions. Um, Plus, he grew up in New York, so he's got a way cooler accent than me. Um, so, I mean, <laughs> so just those two we, things alone. That introduction for us. Yeah, just just those two things alone. You should have Daniel P. Bigman on there for sure. Yeah, so we'll need to make that happen. Yeah. Forrest, thank you uh, so much for uh, for joining us today. It was uh, an awesome episode. Uh, learned a lot yeah. of great insights, and uh, hopefully we'll do this again. It was a pleasure. Thanks for the time, David. It was a lot of fun.